Well, welcome to the Generation Podcast. Uh, my name is Martin Patterson, uh, and it's uh, a joy for you, uh, a joy for me to host this for you. Um, wherever you are uh, in the world, wherever you're listening from, um, thank you for choosing to um, join with us. We're delighted to have you. Uh, today, we are joined by Steve and Anna Griffiths, who are currently serving in Brazil. Uh, but they have previously served in uh, Mozambique, Cambodia, and also in Singapore. Uh, Steve is also the author of an excellent book called The Axe and the Tree. And it tells the story of his parents, and in particular, the harrowing trials and struggles which hit the team uh, that they were part of in Zimbabwe. Uh, I'm going to put the link to uh, Steve's uh, book uh, in the episode details below. Uh, but for now, uh, without further ado, let me introduce uh, Steve and Anna um, to you. Or in fact, I'll let them introduce themselves to you. Um, and uh, just want to say thank you um, to you guys for joining us today um, on the podcast. Thank you, Martin. It's great to be here with you. So my name is... Oh, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was just going to ask exactly what I was about to ask you. Um, who are you and what do you do? Okay, I'm Anna. Um, I'm English and um, I trained as a zoologist. I was converted at the University of St Andrews at the end of my first year of study. Uh, I went on and did theological training at the London School of Theology uh, and then served cross-culturally in a church in the East End of London with a very strong call to serving the Lord cross-culturally in, 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 in East Asia. Um, I went on holiday to Zimbabwe uh, just on my way to the orientation course for new missionaries with OMF. Um, uh, that was to be held in Singapore. I went on holiday to Zimbabwe. And I, 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 during those three weeks, my life was changed around. I, and I never got to East Asia uh, on the orientation course for new missionaries that I was supposed to. I, I'll let Steve finish that little bit of the story. <laughs> so I'm from uh, Zimbabwe in, in Southern Africa. Um, my folks were actually missionaries. They're involved in education, health work, um, church planting, uh, leading a team in a remote northeastern area among an, what is, would now be called an unreached people group. Um, and so an amazing move of God. Um, as you mentioned, Martin, I, I tell something of that story in, in the book that I wrote, but that more importantly, Anna edited it would never have seen the light of day if I hadn't had such a good editor. So, <laughs> it wasn't, it so wasn't it was, for our wives. We would not be yeah. in any places. <laughs> definitely, definitely a team effort. Um, anyway, I, I actually came to faith on a, on a, on a scripture union camp that was, um, uh, my, my father was the commandant, but they had a, a, a Shana preacher. It was actually for black Zimbabwean kids, and I was there along with them. And the Shana preacher sharing about uh, the need for, for, to get right with God, how things had gone wrong for us as far as um, God was concerned, how we'd missed the mark, and all that Jesus had done for us on the cross. Um, explained it so clearly and I was really moved and I realized at that point in time I was about 11 years old I think that 
that I needed Jesus. It wasn't just enough to be part of a Christian family that I needed to, to believe and trust in Jesus myself. Um, so my folks went to reach the Shona people of Zimbabwe and the Shona reached their sons. So <laughs> I just love the way God does that kind of thing. Um, grew up, went to university at the, at the University of Zimbabwe uh, where I studied medicine, uh, trained as a doctor, <clears throat> um, interested in public health and in fact, in tuberculosis and leprosy control. I was on my way to Mozambique with an organization called the Leprosy Mission uh, to, to work. Um, actually, it was a great access country at the time, um, going as a single um, when Anna came to lunch. Um, and my father actually really enjoyed that lunch. It was Anna and two of her friends talking around the table, um, he was cracking lots of jokes and um, charming everybody. And then I was actually on call, walked back to my car to go back to the hospital to finish my call. And he followed me out and said, which one of those girls are you going to marry? <laughs> <laughs> He'd never asked me that question before. And, uh, he didn't have to ask me that question ever again. Um, I, I, didn't, I couldn't actually remember Anna's name, so I just said, the one with the long hair, I think, if you're really pressing me. <laughs> So, and, and here we are, 30 years later, uh, wow. married. So, um, <laughs> That's a wonderful story, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I was really reluctant to, <clears throat> to challenge. One of, the, one of the most challenging things about our courtship was actually Anna was heading to Thailand and I was heading to Mozambique. And how was God going to reconcile those, those two things? Um, anyway, we, we worked it out. Um, and God helped us, God guided and directed us. We served in Mozambique uh, for a number of years. And then one day when things were actually really quite challenging um, in Mozambique, I had been thinking about Cambodia, and, and, and which was also a very challenging place, and said to Anna, what if I told you that I thought God might be calling us to Cambodia? Expecting her to hurl her bowl of breakfast cereal at me, Instead, this big smile came across her face and she said, I'd go tomorrow. So my eyes were finally opened and after nine years serving in Africa, we changed agencies and uh, also uh, changed continents and, and served for the OMF in Cambodia. Wow. That's really cool to hear. Um, you guys, have, you were saying that you've been, been together for 30 years, is that right? And in those 30 years, um, only because I know you guys a little, um, I, I know that God has also blessed you with, with uh, not so little people anymore. Um, <laughs> not so little, that's right. We have Joshua, who's 27, and Amy, who's 25. Um, they, one of the wisest things they did was follow their mother to St Andrews. So they both studied at St Andrews um, and they followed their father because they both did medicine. Um, Good to have but, that balance. But most importantly, <laughs> most importantly for us as parents is that they're following the Lord Jesus and we're so grateful for that. And they're, they're both passionate about serving cross-culturally as well. Joshua is married. He married Rachel, who is also at St Andrews, yay! And um, they are living and working in, in Manchester at the moment, um, looking at short term in Bolivia. And, and Amy is, is on her way to start as a junior doctor, God willing, in London uh, in August. 
So uh, a lot to be thankful for, for the two children that the Lord has blessed us with. That's amazing. I'd, I'd said just as we were briefly introducing you um, that you are you've 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 served in Asia, and Steve was talking a little bit about that going to Cambodia. You also served. Um, well, do you want to give us a little bit of a picture about just briefly what what happened in Cambodia and Singapore? I touched on that, and then we'll get to where you are just now. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> It's fine, Martin. We just need to watch the clock. We don't want to spend all this time on that um, necessarily, <laughs> or as much as we'd love to. Um, ha- having having served in in leprosy and TB in Mozambique, um, Steve uh, wasn't wasn't necessarily looking for something similar in in Cambodia, but that door opened. So after our, our first year of full time language and culture study in Cambodia. Um, the door opened to leprosy and, and TB again. Uh, and, and so we were excited about that, to see that, that, that sort of strand of continuity. Mm-hmm. I had trained as a, an English teacher between Mozambique and Cambodia, and so was able to um, teach English as a second language as well as do radio programs for those that wanted to learn English. Um, teaching civil servants in one of the government ministries. Yeah. yeah. And, and very involved in a local church that was very important to us. Um, and really having committed to learning that language, which was just, you know, all so confusing to us at the beginning, seeing God's hand and taking us to Cambodia and thinking this is for the next 25 years, you know, or whatever. Um, I think the, the and, and, and helping other professionals serve on the team as, as, as those also working to see the kingdom of God grow through using their professions and is equally committed to church planting. Um, out of the blue came an invitation to serve in Singapore and after four years, and we were very surprised at that. We were not expecting that at all. Um, and it was moving from using our professions to perhaps developing other gifts and serving in the area of personnel. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so and through a series of events, the Lord did confirm that move to us. So uh, in 2005, we started in Singapore. So, yeah, and, and that role was, <clears throat> I think we were willing to kind of, um, we, we did find it hard, as Anna said, investing in, in language and being involved in, in something that we felt the Lord had called us to as, as a teacher and a doctor. I think the Lord challenged us to, to be willing to lay down our kind of individual ministries, as it were, uh, to facilitate other people going well into ministry. So we took up the role of international director for, for personnel um, at that at that time and shared the role um, based in Singapore at OMF's international headquarters. So that was um, guiding, setting parameters for the the um, selection of or, and training of, of new missionaries. Um, in our time, I think we had uh, somewhere between eight and nine hundred new missionaries joining OMF, coming to orientation course in Singapore passing through our house um, and, you know, having dinner together and, and that kind of thing. Um, so once again, very, very busy time, uh, but that's something that we, we really appreciated, seeing what God was doing and calling people to be obedient to him, 
to, to reach cross-culturally, uh, especially to the neglected frontiers of, of East Asia. It was a privilege to, to be part of the team uh, at that time. Thank you for uh, guiding us through um, that. Uh, I know there's so much more you could say and would love to say. I just want to pick up on that because I think that you've touched on something really helpful because there will no doubt be people who are listening um, to the podcast who are thinking through um, maybe church ministry somewhere in Scotland or in the UK or or cross-cultural ministry, um, laying down our ministries for God's purposes in the world. Is, is just one of those big things that we all have to wrestle through. Uh, and I suppose that's something which will be helpful for people to hear, even from your experience of we expected that after this amount of time invested in this and learning this language and doing this thing, we would be doing this here. But actually, God sovereignly is guiding and directing and, and leading us forward so that he can shape us to be more like Jesus, um, but also to, right. to bring more people to know and love Jesus in the mm. role he places us. It's really helpful uh, and, and, a, and a lived out real live experience uh, of that that you've shared. So thank you for that. Um, you're now uh, in it, geographically on the other side of the world from where you were. Um, you, you are now living in uh, Brazil uh, and it would be fair to say that Glasgow is uh, getting to Brazilian uh, winter temperatures today. Uh, it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, uh, you now live in Sao Paulo. And uh, it's a huge city uh, in Brazil, about, I think, is it 12 million people, something like that. Um, can you just give us a bit of an insight into what life is like there um, and maybe what some of the joys and challenges are of living cross-culturally in that, that mega city uh, urban environment in, in Brazil? Yeah. Well, it's, it's astonishing to us because Brazil is the fifth biggest country in the world in terms of land area. And yet Sao Paulo, greater Sao Paulo, is actually 22 million people all squashed into a relatively tiny area. Um, it's the biggest city in the Western Hemisphere, the biggest city in the, in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it's a massive economic powerhouse. So um, around Sao Paulo and, and a couple of the satellite cities, they generate about 25% of Brazil's GDP. In fact, just down the street here, we've got a memorial um, to those who died when when Sao Paulo State, which was such an economic powerhouse, tried to break away from the rest of the Brazilian Federation in, uh, in sort of, um, you know, 70, 80, 90 years ago, uh, but failed. And, and the Federation actually held and, and stayed together. Um, it's known as the city that never sleeps. Um, so notorious for the speed of, of traffic, for the speed of even the speed at which people speak uh, Portuguese, often swallowing their words, which makes it very entertaining for us uh, as we try and work out what, what, what people are saying. Um, Sounds like you would fit in quite well in Glasgow or have Glaswegians there, so that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a city of massive of contrast as well. I mean, you... you <clears throat> It's got the biggest helicopter fleet in the world. So the wealthy actually tend to get around Sao Paulo by helicopter because, you know, to beat the traffic and so on. And uh, at least for a while, you could even, you know, get your helicopter via Uber. So Uber had that option. <laughs> go to the nearest, you know, building, big building that has a helipad on the roof, pick up your, your Uber helicopter and away you go kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting place. I mean, a lot of... There are some very beautiful cities in, in Brazil, like Rio de Janeiro. Sao Paulo is, um, 
often people in Sao Paulo criticize the city for its kind of grayness and for the pollution and for the busyness, but they don't like anybody else criticizing it because they actually love being here and love being part of the city. As Steve said, it's a city of contrast, Martin. So you can have some sort of luxury areas right next to slum areas. Um, and there are, there are massive slum areas in Greater Sao Paulo. So um, where, where people are lower income or unemployed are facing massive economic hardship right now. Um, there are a lot of homeless people on the streets um, and one of the reasons the city doesn't sleep, apart from those who work very hard, is that homeless people stay awake at night so that they are not attacked or set upon by mobs and they sleep during the day. So that's a sad side of, 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 mm. of life here, mm. that, that people, homeless people are too afraid to sleep at night. Um, we are very blessed. We looked uh, for, for somewhere to live. When we arrived four years ago, there was no one else here and, and no team to set up a house or anything for us, which is, you know, the normal OMF style. Um, we, we looked in an area which we were recommended because it was safe. Um, there are such high levels of violence, gang violence, robberies, personal theft. Um, we needed to be somewhere where we felt safe coming back to um, and and so our, our little suburb is is very um, peaceful, low crime rates relative to the rest of the city, um, and so we we are very blessed to be here and not to be afraid to go out. Although we we wouldn't choose to stay up late at night. Um, one of the one of the challenges that we faced when we arrived is, um, for instance, our small group at church. Uh, meets weekly to study the Bible, and it starts at nine thirty at night. Now, for us, that I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm winding down by nine thirty, uh, but they're just beginning. And because it's across town, we and we don't have a car, we we get an Uber or something. We'd be coming back in the small hours. Do you get one of those helicopters? Uh, oh, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Our <laughs> Um, and we, we, we'd be coming back in the small hours of the morning. And again, so um, slightly nerve-wracking always, um, praying that you, 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 know, you get home safely. Um, but it is the violence in the city is, well, in the country actually is, is, um, is of concern. And I think was of concern to our friends and family who knew we were moving here. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really helpful. Uh, insight to, to, to where you are and um, it gives us nice context to understand the backdrop of, of ministry um, that you guys are involved in but if, if I'm someone listening in and I've heard that you've been involved in ministry in um, Cambodia, Singapore, are continuing to work, serve with OMF, uh, there's predominantly an East Asian um, uh, f philosophy for ministry uh, how on earth does Sao Paulo and Brazil marry up with um, reaching out to people who are um, from an East Asian background um, how, how did you end up in the place you are um, and and what uh, what is uh, the role that you have in Brazil whoa okay <laughs> So one of the questions we were asked a, a lot, well, actually, we still asked, is are you still with OMF? Because OMF's focus is on East David. What on earth are you doing 
in Latin America. Um, and I think if I was going to sort of summarize it, we, it, we put it in a nutshell, we are mobilizing, we are making known the needs of East Asia here, longing and praying uh, to see people called and responding to God's, God's call, obviously, to reach the people of East Asia for Jesus. So we, the leadership of OMF was praying to have people based in Latin America who, with that desire. Um, we weren't the first to be here um, from OM, with OMF, but uh, obviously it's very small in number. And, and, and one of the reasons is that there are Latin Americans with OMF, but very few, and we could see the potential of the, of the Latin American church. And so it was an intentionality on OMF's part that brought us here in response to God's call to be making known the needs of East Asia and also the opportunities. I was just going to say as well, like providentially, you also have a little bit of an experience with the language um, based on previous ministry. Um, because if memory serves me correctly, Mozambique um, speaks Portuguese uh, and so do people in Brazil. Uh, and it's, it's again, it's just a little bit of those things being added together in the, the, the great picture that God is um, uh, putting together in people's lives that he, he has given us those experiences which now are all coming together. Um, that's mm. that's really cool to to, to see and to to, to hear. Um, yeah, I wonder just quickly um, we can explore more to do with your role and what that looks like, and maybe a little bit about the church in Brazil, and maybe in as as, as much as as much as you can uh, the wider context of of uh, Latin America. But I wonder if you could just speak a little bit about the the, the pandemic and the, the situation of, of COVID-19 uh, in Brazil, because obviously it's something in, in the media in the, in the UK that we have seen uh, a lot about. Um, and just even recently, there was uh, demonstrations within um, Sao Paulo, um, which were questioning the, the government's um, handling of, of, of uh, the, the pandemic over the last little while. Could you just give us a bit of a picture about that and what maybe life's even been like for you and, and, and those who uh, share the same city as you? Um. Mm. <clears throat> I think, so briefly sketching out the, the, the pandemic um, and the situation here, um, I think uh, one of the main challenges that Brazil has faced during the pandemic has been challenges around, around political leadership. Um, so... <clears throat> Brazil, uh, the, the, the pandemic or the, the virus arrived sort of March last year. Um, the Minister of Health at the time started to take some very effective action and started to uh, lead and give direction, um, taking the pandemic seriously and immediately ran into trouble with his bosses and eventually stepped down within a month or so because he felt that he, he was not able to move forward with what he felt was an appropriate sort of science-driven response. Um, and actually, the, I think one of the, the main words that we might use to describe the response of the government has been negationism. Um, so it's just negated constantly that there is a, a serious problem, um, which has... Which has led to a situation developing that that uh, is very um, tragic and and 
the, the tragedy is worsened by at least some aspects of the situation being uh, avoidable. Um, so Brazil does have a, a well-developed uh, national health system. It's actually uh, patterned on the British health system. Um, Brazil has some world-beating, world-leading research institutes. Um, Brazil actually holds the record in the past for vaccinating 9 million people in a single day. Uh, on a, this is in a, a different time, a different different disease. Um, so it had the, the kind of the infrastructure and, and so on and so forth, um, some of which has been neglected more recently. Um, but basically, the the economy was p- placed above people's health, um, trying to keep the wanting to keep the economy open, denying that there was a problem, refusing to purchase vaccines when they're available. Um, I think the situation was also worsened by the fact that even when there were stay-at-home orders often put in place by state governors, um, the federal government immediately took their state governors to court. So the state governors were trying to manage the pandemic at the same time as having to invest time and energy and in, in dealing with the legal challenges that they were facing. For Many poor people in Brazil, they did not have the option of not going to work or they they had to keep on turning up physically to work. And of course, to say I'm ill or whatever, um, or to stay away when you're ill was often not a problem, uh, was not possible. That led to rapid spread of of the, the virus in those communities as well, which led to a situation of very high death rate uh, the biggest cemetery in Latin America is here in Sao Paulo. It's running 24 hours a day. So um, because people are, are, are dying, the, 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 the suffering um, has been intense. Um, and <clears throat> it's been uh, very, very challenging for so many people. We're approaching half a million deaths, is it, now? Yeah, um, around 16 million people who have been infected, and that's the, that may be an, an underestimate. So I think that, that in some ways it's the challenge or the contrast of the fact that Brazil in so many ways is so rich and has so, so, so developed, and yet, and yet people have slipped through. It's kind of exposed the divisions, uh, exposed the, the, the challenges of, of a... Of a the divided and contrasting society and exposed the, the way that the poor and neglected are often, you know, um, treated in a situation like this. Sorry, that's quite a long answer, but I think there's a lot of anger that has come about as being generated, which is why we're seeing these demonstrations now. And I, I think, Martin, you ask us how it's affected our work. What what we've imposed on ourselves is is a self-imposition because we could still be traveling. So as mobilizers, as those looking to partner with other agencies and sending churches, um, we are normally traveling. Um, Of course, uh, obviously Brazil is vast. And so we we have a a presence on the internet and people are contacting us through, through the internet usually. But when it comes to actually building relationships, then we travel usually. Um, we could have carried on, um, but we, we've, we've said, no, this is crazy. Um, and so we've restricted ourselves to, to remain at home, um, which is what we've done for over a year now. And, and 
tried and worked on building relationship, of course, via Zoom. Um, but but the, the traveling, the restrictions we've we've had are because we we've made them um, because because you know we, we want to take care. Um, so in one sense, there's a part of our work that's carried on on via by the internet, and there's another part of our work which has been absolutely curtailed uh, because we're not traveling anywhere to meet new partners in person and build relationships that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really helpful for us to, to hear about the situation um, and uh, by no means apologize for giving us a little bit of a, a, an insight into, into that. Um, it, it's, it's so sad um, to, to hear you know, it's just one of those time old things that humanity does uh, in response to God's goodness and provision for us as we elevate that which is the created thing to the to the point of deity, to the point of being God in, in life. And so sad that uh, economics gets bumped right up above the priority of human life and existence. Um, mm. I, I've just been finishing off looking at a section in Revelation 18, and there's just a list of different things. And the really sad reality of that, that list is that it ends with, um, you know, human, human, human souls, human, human beings being seen almost as the bottom of the pile of commodities that the empire trades. Um, and it's just so sad um, that we can uh, lose sight of the value and dignity and, 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 and worth uh, that is um, given to, to humanity. Um, uh, yeah, so thank you for, for sharing that. And, and also, I, I suppose it gives us something to, to pray for, for those who are listening, uh, who, they, who, who want to pray, who are uh, followers of Jesus, then there's clearly some stuff there to pray for, to pray for the government and, and also for, um, for the churches as well, um, to be wise and sensitive. Um, yeah, so... Um, Martin, just... just just seizing on your last comment there about churches, just to say that we are part of, of a really lovely church here in, in Sao Paulo that is that is led by a group of, of three leaders uh, that have really been encouraging the congregation as a whole to, to demonstrate their love for each other and to demonstrate their love by, for society at large in terms of the way that they've acted during the pandemic. And... Uh, it's been really outstanding, the leadership that they've provided in trust, if you like, some of the other styles of leadership that we're seeing. Um, I think they've also, Zia <clears> Mashadu, <throat> uh, one of the leaders, has also been encouraging the church to learn to lament mm. uh, in the middle of it and has talked about the, um, the fact that we need to allow what's going on uh, he said, when he's talking about we, he's talking about, you know, Brazilian society and, and the Brazilian church to allow what's going on to challenge superficial and superficial optimism, you know, that, that optimism is actually naivety and pessimism is atheistic. But what we need to seek is hope, mm. the hope that only God can bring. Um, so I think that that's, that's, that approach has been, has been both pastoral and an encouraging, uh, very profound response to, to what's going on here in Brazil. We've also seen a real increase in prayer and intercession, which has been, um, which has been huge. And, and getting together with other mission leaders now on a weekly basis, 
called by the Association of, of Transcultural Missions of Brazil. Um, so uh, we, there are signs of of um, of God at work in the middle of, of a very dark situation as well. It was one of the things I was just about to ask you there. Have there been some really positive things that have come as a result of what have been restrictions? But I, I think that that's um, really uh, helpfully answered answered that. Um, a little bit more then about your role. You you were saying, Anna, that uh, obviously you've kind of had self-imposed restrictions, um, which seems quite wise given the, the the current setup. What what are some of the the relationships that uh, you guys are uh, working through and um, developing at present? Um, and I suppose uh, touching on one of the questions that we um, flagged up earlier on is what are some of the the key trends that you see developing? Um, within the church in Brazil uh, more widely? Uh, yeah, we, we, as, as we engage with those who, who contact us and uh, are themselves already exploring what God is, is, is saying to them and calling them to do, um, we've just been encouraged to see how we arrived we had so much to learn Martin. we got here and we 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 were reminded like never before that we are lifelong learners that our, our journey with the lord is is one of perpetual learning and we had so much to learn right down to oh the portuguese they use here is so different to the portuguese we learned 30 years ago in portugal and then different to the one we used in mozambique those kind of things um but coming here, we felt that God gave us the, the opportunity and the privilege to see what he was already doing. And we were a tiny part of um, one couple who said to us when we arrived, now you're here. We, we, we think the door will open for us to get to East Asia. And, and surely, sure enough, there they are serving in their second year on the, on the, in Thailand with OMF. And just, so we've been... We are privileged to see what God is doing. And I think an encouragement in the last year has, has been to see, we couldn't go to their, their farewell uh, service or anything, um, but to see a family um, follow the Lord to Cambodia um, from Brasilia, from the capital of Brazil, to a long journey for them. But amazingly how God did that and opened the door during the pandemic. So they went at the end of October last year. Um, we, we've been witnesses to that, if you like, and just played a tiny role along the way. So that's that's the sort of the, the kinds of things we're involved in. And it starts with often with an email or a WhatsApp. Brazilians love WhatsApp and social media. Honestly, we've just, half of our day is spent on WhatsApp, just interacting with people. And they say, ah, oh, you know, you, 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 do you really speak Portuguese? Are you really focused on East Asia? And, and is there any way that you, I, you can help get us to East Asia? So it's those kind of things. We see ourselves as a bridge, really, uh, facilitating what God is doing at, in partnership with a Brazilian mission agency. Um, and that's been another learning thing. Um, how, how do we function uh, in dual membership? Because we belong to OMF, but we also belong to this mission agency here, Sepal. And they have said, would you, would you serve with us? Would you be part of our candidate selection team? Um, and, and again, learning how they do it and 
perhaps being able to draw on our experience over the years. Um, and that's, that has been a blessing for us and the challenge um, of being part of a Brazilian medicine agency and exploring how we work together and, and screening people for Romania and uh, you know, places in the world that OMF doesn't send to, but recognizing our part in the partnership that we have with that agency. Would you say that there are any particular um, trends in terms of um, uh, what am I trying to say? Within, within Brazil, a huge nation, um, big population. Within the church, I think, Steve, you kind of touched on this, learning the theology of lament, for example, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, and working that through as a result of the pandemic. Are there any particular um, threads or trends that you can see um, coming up in the, the world of mission um, in Brazil and within the Brazilian church um, that we as, as believers in, say, Scotland, the UK, uh, can, can learn from or, or just general observations? Sure. I mean, I think it's some of the things that we've that we've discovered here in Brazil, we've also realised are, are uh, happening in other parts of Latin America as well, which, by the way, is, is so much more diverse than we expected. It's not just Portuguese-speaking and Spanish-speaking. There's so much diversity within the, 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 the continent as a whole. Um, but I think that the evangelical church in, in Latin America has been marked by growth over the last 40 or 50 years ago, from a very, uh, over the last 40, 50 years, sorry, from a, from a relatively small base. Um, but there were many faithful believers in the, in the decades before that, that, that laid the basis in some ways for, for what's going on uh, now. I think there's been the, the, the uh, there's been a very full-orbed commitment to working out what discipleship of Jesus Christ or to Jesus Christ means, uh, not only in the private but also in the public sphere. And I think that um, Brazilian and Latin American more widely, for example, Rene Padilla, uh, who just died recently, they've, they've brought um, not a liberation theology but an integral mission understanding um, that is the good news of Jesus Christ in all its fullness that we want to declare um, a, a, a broader approach that affects every part of, of humanity and affects the physical as, as well as the spiritual. So it's been encouraging to, to see that um, at, at work. Um, I think we've discovered that churches in this, this part of the world expect to grow. So there's, a, there's an expectation of growth, I think, there's a confidence in, in the gospel and a commitment to, to learning and teaching the word of God that, that can vary to a certain extent. But there's a very kind of uh, solid core under that. I think there's a sense of God's power um, that we need help and we should ask for help. Um, and I think the, the Pentecostal movement in, in Brazil has, has had an impact, if you like, on some of the mainstream denominations in that sense as well. And I think we also sense there's a growing sense of confidence of being part of the international missions movement, that God has blessed this part of the world with growth. Um, and, and that blessing is not to be kept to themselves, but to be shared and, and wanting to do that and seeing themselves in this part of the world once again increasingly um, not so much as a mission field but as a, as a mission force. Um, I don't know if there's anything you, you want to know. Um, 
I think just on the the kind of the missiological side of things, um, there there is work to be done still in reaching peoples in in Latin America. Um, we discovered the whole concept of the of the green window. Um, so the unreached peoples in in the, the sort of the Amazon area. Um, um, and also the fact that although there is the the, the, the Portuguese and the Spanish speakers, there are vast numbers, uh, tens of millions of indigenous peoples. For example, in, in Mexico, 25 million um, indigenous peoples in 300 people groups often um, relatively unreached with the gospel, but responsive when, when the, the region goes on. As far as the international missions movement is concerned, there's a huge amount of interest in the Islamic world um, and in the Middle East and North Africa and so on, but there's very little awareness of the Buddhist world or the Islamic world of, of East Asia. And so uh, we were here at the invitation of the, of the Latin American missions movement, actually, um, who had already identified that as being an issue and, and were hoping that OMF could play at least a little part in addressing um, uh, that lack of awareness, bringing awareness and then seeing what, what God would do uh, in terms of, of seeing East Asians reach for the good news of Jesus and all its fullness. We, we experienced, Martin, um, in our interactions with other mission agencies that um, their, their focus has very much been on Africa and deepest, darkest Europe um, and, 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 the, and the need and influence to see those as mission fields. When you start to go further east, possibly India, but beyond that, it it's, it's, has, in our experience, been a virtual unknown. So one of the things that I've just loved doing is sort of opening the window on East Asia and saying, look at what's happening. Look at the needs of that part of the world and look at the opportunities. And it has been an eye-opener and it continues to be an eye-opener because of the focus historically on Africa, Europe, and just about India, if you're lucky. So, um, yeah, that sort of focus has has been a challenge to us as we've come in. And, and no one's heard of OMF here. If you're lucky, they've heard of Hudson Taylor, but no one's heard of OMF. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's been good not only to engage with Brazil, but to see what's going on in some of the other Latin American countries. And I think some of the... the the countries where the movement is, the missions movement is, has grown and is continuing to grow would be Argentina, um, Mexico, which is becoming a you know, very serious player, um, Chile, which is punching above its weight despite its small size as, as a nation, and also just what God is doing in Peru. I mean, it's just extraordinary to see um, the mission involvement, mission engagement, and growing missions movement coming out of out of Peru. So that, that's been a huge encouragement to us. Um, well, I'm sure, I'm sure for some people who are listening on, um, they will have prayed for Peru for many years. Uh, many of the churches um, in, in the Free Church um, been associated with um, working in, in Peru for a number of years. And just to hear that, um, the, the growth of the church and the, the development of the church to, to, to be involved in cross-cultural uh, international missions is something which I'm sure is a cause to give thanks to God for and a great encouragement um, to those mm. who are listening. Um, our time is uh, pretty much up, guys. Um, 
I could go on. Um, I mean, everybody knows that I can go on, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's been so good spending time uh, chatting with you and catching up. Um, and it's it's a real encouragement to hear um, of a church which recognises that uh, the church in Brazil that recognises it needs the Lord to sovereignly work and empower, um, but also has a confidence in the scriptures and has a love for um, for God in, in a holistic way um, to see mm. Jesus made known in all of his fullness to the peoples of the world. Um, mm. That's not exactly a bad place to be involved in ministry. <laughs> that's, that's really good. <laughs> and and that, 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 um, that gem, this is so good that we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We, the church recognizes this is this is good news for all the peoples of the world. Um, and I just say thank you to you guys um, for joining us, um, and thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, I hope that you've uh, found this encouraging, um, thought provoking, uh, and and maybe enjoyable as well. Um, but uh, please tune back in um, for the next episode of the Generation Podcast, um, and we hope to see you then. Thanks and goodbye, Steve and Anna. Thanks for joining us. Thank Bye. Thank you, Mark. Bye. Bye. Bye.